Well, we did have a fantastic week once again, serving alongside our brothers and sisters in Belize this past week. And thank you, church. Thank you, church, for your prayers uh, throughout the week. And I'm going to have to be honest this morning. After arriving into Birmingham a little after 11 last night, it is only by the grace of God that I am standing before you this morning. And on this particular day, I think some of that grace uh, is found in strong coffee and the contents therein. Believe it or not, yesterday afternoon we were sitting in the, the airport on our layover in Miami and I was looking through Uh, the message for this morning, and several people on our mission team had the the boldness to ask if we could just have our own little church service then so that they didn't have to be here this morning. (laughs) As you can imagine, I did not give in to them. But we did see the faithfulness of our God throughout this week. We saw his faithfulness to provide for us and to direct us and to strengthen us as we engaged in different activities, as we engaged in sharing the love of Christ, the word of Christ to over 130 children through Vacation Bible School, as we participated in an exhausting construction project in Uh, the Central American heat and humidity. And as we uh, shared the gospel with children and adults through sports ministry and home visits and as we led church services each day in Belize. But apart from the faithfulness of God, there is no doubt that we would have greatly struggled. That we would have greatly struggled to maintain unity among ourselves and among our Belizean brothers and sisters, that we would have struggled to uh, approach strangers with the gospel, that we would have struggled to enjoy hours and hours of hard work in the Central American heat and humidity and the sweat and the smells that go hand in hand with those hours working outside. But God proved himself faithful. God directed us, God guided us, God strengthened us as he often does. He cares and provides for his people. And we see a clear picture of that this morning from our passage in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 as we continue our series on biblical worship, journeying through the Old Testament book of Malachi. But I want us to see this morning... That because God is faithful, he blesses his people for repentance before him and faithful giving to him. Because God Almighty is faithful, he blesses his people for repentance before him and faithful giving to him. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3 together, beginning in verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. 
In that single verse, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, we see that God's unchanging love spares His people. God's unchanging love spares His people. Now, this is an important truth for us to grasp a hold of this morning because what the Bible is saying here is that because God's nature is always the same, because He is consistent, because He is true to Himself, His people are spared from destruction. In other words, because God is immutable, He does not change, He stays the same, He's consistently a God of love and justice and compassion and mercy. Because He is that way, His people, even in their sin, are spared from destruction. And we've seen over and over as we've looked through Malachi such a clear picture of our own sin nature. We've seen a consistent picture of the people of God in that day sinning against God by not giving Him what what He deserves, by failing to trust Him fully, by failing to be completely devoted to Him, by failing to live up to the biblical picture of worship that He had spelled out in Scripture, and even accusing Him of things that were not true about Him. In fact, two weeks ago, the the passage just prior to this one, the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews in that day, had accused God of changing, of no longer being a God of justice because wicked people around them were prospering. And in their eyes, God was doing nothing about it. And so in the context of Scripture, in the context of this book, this passage for this morning is part of God's response to that accusation. And what God is saying is, no, I I have not changed. I am a God of justice. These people who have not trusted in me, who have not devoted their lives to me, will one day experience my judgment. But after all, the people of God should be the very ones that were the most grateful that God's nature does not change. Because even in the midst of their disobedience, even in the midst of their rebellion and lack of living up to the standard that God had spelled out, God's love spared them. God's unchanging love spares His people. However, God's love... in the, in the form of sparing his people from destruction, is not the same as God's full blessing. And we see that this morning. We see it in the very next verse, Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return. In verse 7, we see that God's people must repent to experience His full blessing. God's people must repent to experience His full blessing. Because what had happened in that day, as often happens today, is that these people of God had drifted away from God. And they had begun to engage in worshiping false gods and marrying pagan women who were devoted to false gods and failing to give God their first and the best, what He had required of them. And they had failed to to act justly with those around them and a whole host of other sins. Yet in His love, 
God not only spared them from destruction, but he even desired to bless them again. He even desired to to pour out his blessings upon them. And that's the picture that we see in verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And return here is a picture of repentance. In other words, God is saying, stop doing the things that you're doing that are not honoring to me and come back to me. And in return, I will return to you. Now, we often equate repentance with apologizing. And there's certainly a relationship. There's certainly a connectedness there. But they're not the same thing. And if you have any siblings, you know how difficult it can be to apologize sometime. How difficult it can be to, to say you're sorry for something that you're really probably not sorry for in the moment. And we teach our kids and, and we even force our kids to say they're sorry for doing things that they should not do. But we cannot, we cannot force our children to truly be sorry for the things that they do. And to truly change their ways. But the picture here of returning to God and the picture of repentance throughout Scripture is more than simply saying that we're sorry for something. It is turning away from it and turning toward God with a a desire to follow Him and to obey Him and to change our ways. And this is where we often even fall short in our own gospel presentations. We have to be careful here because there's a difference between saying we are sorry for something and actually believing that we're sorry for something. And so as we present the gospel and as we teach about repentance, we want to make sure that we communicate that, that to trust in Christ for salvation involves repentance. And it's a heart change of turning away, owning up to our own sin and turning away from it and then desiring to follow after this perfect and holy God that we've sinned against. A desire to obey Him. A desire to live for Him. So God tells these people who have disobeyed Him, who have continually rebelled against Him, return to me and I will return to you. And if they return to him, by God returning to, him, to them, he meant that he would pour out his blessings on them again. That he would give them an abundant provision because he is a faithful God who does not change and stays the same. His love endures forever. And we sang about that this morning already, didn't we? How tender your mercies, how firm to the end. That's the picture of God's unchanging nature and how it is a blessing to his people. Because God is faithful. He blesses his people for their repentance before him and their faithful giving to him. But even at this point in Malachi's message here in Malachi chapter 3, the people were unaware of their own sin. This is why they ask at the end of verse 7, but you ask, how are we to return? So God says, return to me and I'll return to you. And their response is, how are we to return? And I don't think that question is meant to convey that they don't know what it meant, that they didn't know what it meant to repent and turn back to God. Instead, they're asking, what are we to return from? 
What is it that we've done wrong? And we've seen this over and over throughout this book, that they're completely blind to their own sin, as we often are today. And as a result, God told them, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And we see in verses 8 and 9 that God curses those who show ingratitude and disobedience. God curses or removes his blessing from those that show ingratitude and disobedience. Those of you that pay very much attention to the news, that that watch the news very often, know that it's not unheard of for a church to actually be robbed or someone to actually break in a church. And in fact, just last year, I came to to church one Thursday morning, came into my office, and my window had had been busted out. Somebody had had come in and looked like uh, a young person because somebody had fumbled around not finding much. Uh, But after all, there wasn't really much there for them to find. But for those of us that believe that the church is the Lord's, it is shocking, is it not, that somebody would break in a church? After all, who wants that on their laundry list of sins? Who wants to have to answer to God for that one? Breaking in his church, robbing his church, Yet the accusation right here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, is that strong against the Israelites. They're accused of robbing God because they are not giving Him what is rightfully His. They weren't breaking into the temple in the night and taking things for themselves. Instead, they simply were not giving God what He had asked of them, what He had required of them. But the sin was the same. The result was the same. It was robbery in the eyes of God. They were robbing him by keeping what was his. By not giving to him what he had entrusted to them in the first place. This is sort of like getting a loan. And then not paying it back and acting as if that's no big deal. And up until this point in Malachi, we've seen that That God has been concerned with the worship of his people. That he's been upset at them for their lack of proper worship and respect toward him. And he's primarily aimed that accusation at who? The priests. The religious leaders. The ones who were ultimately responsible for leading the people in biblical worship. For teaching the the truths of God's word in a way that honors him. But right here in in verses 8 and 9, this accusation is clearly against all. All of Israel, the whole nation, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Because they were not giving God what he had clearly spelled out and asked of them in his word. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to quickly turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 14. And we're going to look at this picture of of the tithe and what God had asked of his people in that day. What he had clearly spelled out in his word, the sin that they were committing by withholding this from God. Deuteronomy chapter 14, 
beginning in verse 22. Deuteronomy chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 14, excuse me, beginning in verse 22. God's word reads this way. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. In other words, at the place, at the location, at the site of the temple, and before that, the tabernacle in that day. He says, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Verse 24, but if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver. And take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. In other words, the people of God were expected to go to the house of worship and to give what God had entrusted to them, the first fruits of of their livestock and other blessings that he had poured out to them. But if it was a far journey and they couldn't take those things with them, they could sell them and then take the money and buy these things at the temple or at the tabernacle, which is the picture that we saw when Jesus entered the tabernacle in the New Testament, right? And he was upset. Because those that were selling these things were making money off them. They were raising the prices for their own gain rather than teaching about proper worship. Verse 26 of Deuteronomy chapter 14. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns. For they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. And we know from our time, even in Malachi, that the Levites were the tribe that God had set apart. This is where the priests came from. They were the religious leaders. And so there was another tie that went to provide for them in that day. Verse 28, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that you do. And so God had clearly spelled out in his word in the Old Testament law for his people, his Old Testament people, to be about these tithes. And we saw a picture of that there. There were multiple tithes. There was more than one tithe. Um, When we think of tithe today, we think of 10%. That's what a tithe means. But there are multiple tithes in that day. And it was much greater than, than 10% like we think of today. In fact, Alan Ross, who's an Old Testament biblical scholar, says that the annual tithe, because there were multiple tithes, was clearly over 20%. And if you added all the other offerings, which were additional gifts above and beyond the tithe, and the charitable gifts, and the mandate to provide for the poor, and the orphan, and the widows, and the strangers or foreigners in the land it would easily exceed 40% a year in today's standard. So this is the picture that God had spelled out for his people in the Old Testament. That he had blessed them, that he had called them to be his people, and he expected much of them in return. He expected them to be faithful in what he had entrusted to them, and then to trust him to provide for them as a result. And even though they were wrong here, even though... They had failed to live up to that standard. God still desired to bless them. He still desired to pour out his abundant blessing on them. God's faithfulness is a blessing to us. 
And also, he desires to bless us for our faithfulness to him because God is faithful. He blesses those who repent before him and those who faithfully give to him. And look at this this promise of blessing in the last section of this passage for this morning. Verses 10 through 12 reads this way. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. We see in verses 10 through 12 that God blesses those who faithfully give to him. God blesses those who faithfully give to him. Now, they're commanded here in verse 10 to bring the whole tithe, or to bring all the tithe into God's house, implying that they were probably bringing something, but not nearly what God had requested. But even so, because our God is compassionate and merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, he desired for them to repent and to turn to him so that he could again pour out his abundant blessing on them. That is the kind of God, friends, that we worship. A God who is indeed just. A God who is indeed holy, but a God who desires to abundantly bless his people for their faithfulness to him. A God who is patient. Our God is not rash with his people. He's patient. He he tarries, and we should rejoice in that. In fact, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 reads this way, describing the coming of the Lord, Christ's second return, the time in which he will judge those who do not fear him. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is a patient God. Thankfully, he is always patient. He stays true to who he is. He is faithful to the covenant he has made with his people. And because of that, he desires for them to return to him so that he can pour out his abundant blessing on them. And here we see this picture in verses 10 through 12 is a blessing by opening the floodgates of heaven and pouring out so much blessing that they would not have room enough for it. In other words, God is asking his people here in Malachi's day to test him, to trust him, to begin to give to him what he deserves, what he's required, what is due him, and then to trust him to abundantly provide for them as a result. And we see this picture in other places in the Old Testament where where rain The floodgates of heaven, rain represents God's blessing for faithfulness. And and lack of rain is God's cursing uh, for lack of faithfulness, for lack of obedience. And this is likely what Israel was experiencing in that day. They were seeing the wicked prosper. And they were struggling. Perhaps there was drought in the land. And as a result, they were giving God less. And God is saying, don't wait till you have so much. 
Trust me. Give to me. And trust me to provide as a result. And not only would he send the rain for an abundant crop, but he would even prevent pests from devouring your crops, probably locusts in that day. And as a result, verse 11 says, the vines in your fields will not cast or drop their fruit until they were plump and mature and ready to be harvested. And that picture reminds me of these last several days in Belize. Because Belize, like I'm sure many other Central American countries, seems to be an oasis for for fresh fruit. Every meal we're having fresh fruit. There's just papayas and oranges and bananas and pineapples and coconuts everywhere. And God is saying here to trust Him for provision. And I know some of you like like to garden. In fact, I think that I would like a small garden. In fact, two or three years ago, I stepped out and uh, really with little to no knowledge of gardening and decided that I would try to plant a small garden. Not very big. Start small and see what happens. And planted a few potato plants and tomato plants and squash and okra. And after many weeks of waiting and probably many, many gallons of water, I was disappointed that I only had a handful of tomatoes and a few small potatoes, uh, probably equal to what I started with. So I guess I came out even on that, on that end of things. And it's okay to laugh. It, it hurts me today to admit. <laughs> it hurts me a little this morning to admit. But, but my failure that year in gardening was probably only the result of my own agricultural inexpertise. I can't blame that on anybody else. Now that was not true for the Israelites in Malachi's day. They knew from a scientific standpoint how to garden. They lived in an agricultural land. Their livelihood depended on it. Yet they were still fully dependent on the God of heaven to provide for them. Ultimately, God was in control of those events. And they could do everything right from a scientific standpoint, from a farming standpoint, but they were still dependent on their creator to fully provide for them. God is a faithful God who blesses those who repent before him and those who faithfully give to him. And if they did that, God stated here that the nations around them would see the way that God blessed them and they would be drawn to their God. Isn't that a good picture? Right living and right worship of God is a display of the goodness of God to the nations. And as we seek to understand this truth and this passage for our lives today, we have to think of of this concept in light of the New Testament. Because there are differences between being an Old Testament child of God and a New Testament child of God, but the biblical principles are still the same. And it's that God desires and He deserves real sacrificial giving 
from his people. He desires his people to sacrificially and gratefully give to him and then to trust him to provide for them. This is the picture that we saw read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 of the Macedonian churches. What did it say? It said that they gave to their they gave to their ability and even beyond their ability or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But they gave even beyond their ability, showing that they trusted God to be faithful and to provide for them. And as we faithfully give to God, God will bless us. Possibly materially, definitely spiritually for our thankful obedience to Him. Now it's important that that we do understand that we are not materially blessed in proportion to every, every physical sacrifice we make for God. Sometimes God does bless us in that way. But that's a popular message of today. That the more you give to God, the more you will experience wealth in this world, or the more you will experience health in this world. And that's simply not the biblical picture oftentimes. And when we do that, when we interpret Scripture in that way, we begin to make following Christ or obeying God all about who? Us. And not about genuine devotion to Him and love for Him, which completely misses the point of worship. Nevertheless, God does promise that He will bless those who faithfully give to Him. He blesses us with salvation by grace. He blesses us with with spiritual peace and joy, and communion with God, and a clear conscience, and oftentimes physical provision, and blessing, and abundance. But we don't use, we don't use biblical truths to somehow gain something for ourselves. That misses the picture. God calls us to be obedient to Him, and then we're blessed as a result of that obedience. And the final and ultimate blessing and provision, and joy of faithfully following Jesus Christ will be fully realized at the return of Christ when we experience eternal salvation in the presence of our Creator because of what Christ did on the cross for us, on our faithful response to that. As we draw this, this passage this morning to a conclusion, I do want to offer just a handful of practical starting points to apply this truth to our lives today. Number one, let's recognize that God is a faithful God. The God that we serve is always faithful to the covenants he makes, to the promises he makes. He is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. And because he is faithful, Let's praise and let's worship him as a result. Number two, if any sin is hindering your relationship with God, just like it was these Israelites in Malachi's day, confess it and turn to God. Repent and turn to God because he is a just God and he's a faithful God and he forgives us of our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And number three, let's give abundantly to the work and ministry of God. Give abundantly to the ministry and the work of God. 
Give of your resources. Give of your time. Give of your treasures. Give of your talents. Give of what God has given you. Use it. Give it back to him and trust that he will bless you as a result of it. And lastly, when it comes to financial contributions as a people of God, let's begin. Let's begin with the tithe. Let's let's begin with 10%. And then let's pray and ask God about giving more. Because God has blessed us abundantly as a people in this church. And let's trust him. Let's prove faithful to him and trust him to provide for us and bless us as a result of our faithful obedience. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths found in it. Lord, I I thank you for the privilege of reading your word and studying your word and meditating on your word and then proclaiming your word. Lord, and I pray that I pray that this morning I've been faithful to it and I pray that it has been for your glory and for your honor. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be glorified in us as we continue to worship you in this place this morning as a corporate church, but also as we leave from here, as we go about our lives day to day. Help us to live lives of biblical worship. Help us live lives that are completely and fully devoted to you, repenting of sin before you and and faithfully giving to you what you've entrusted to us and then trusting you to provide for us as a result. Father, I thank you for this church. May you may you continue to lead us and guide us in your paths. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.